Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, those of you who don't know who I am, my name is Jeremy. I serve as the campus pastor at our Indian Creek campus, as well as one of the student ministry pastors here at Sugar Grove. So it's great to come and see new faces and old faces and uh, everywhere in between. So grateful to be here and thankful for the opportunity uh, to preach and bring God's word before us this morning. As we do so, I want to focus our time together on the glory and majesty of God this morning. And I want to just pose a question before you as we get started. What do you think of when God has spoken of? What thoughts and images flood your mind when the name of the Almighty is spoken? What's your view of God? Do you see God simply as uh, some sort of mystic being who's cryptic and confusing and hard to understand and follow? Is God uh, practically for you a genie in the bottle who's kind of there to fulfill your desires and wishes in life? Maybe God's kind of like an insurance policy. He's there for times of emergency. Uh, you call upon him when you're in need. Or maybe where it strikes home for us a little bit more is, has God become nothing more than a casual friend? A friend that doesn't mind being blown off when something other comes up because he'll understand. He gets it. He knows. A friend who's you know, not upset with slang nicknames and sarcastic speech or careless approach. Perhaps for many of us, we struggle in our spirituality at times and our growth with the Lord, not for a lack of desire, but perhaps for a lack of seeing God as He truly is. Perhaps the American spirituality that we find ourselves in so often has become more concerned with the individual and their experience rather than the God whom they love and follow. Perhaps over time, we've lowered our view of God so much that we've lost sight of who He truly is, lost sight of His glory, His splendor, and His majesty, to a point that we may affirm these things with our mouths, but have lost a sense of awe and wonder of them in our hearts. Perhaps it's time for us as God's people to sing a new song, to find a renewed sense of awe and wonder at our God. Tozer shares some thoughts to this and what his solution would be. He says that if he, we were to bring back spiritual power in our lives, we must begin to think of God more nearly as he is. What can we plain Christians do to bring back the departed glory? The answer may easily disappoint some persons, for it's anything but profound. I bring no esoteric cryptogram, no mystic code to be painfully deciphered. I appeal to no hidden law of the unconscious, no occult knowledge meant only for the few. The secret is an open one, which the wayfaring man may read. It is simply the old and ever new counsel, acquaint thyself with God. I want to invite you this morning to open your Bibles with me to Psalm 96. This psalm opens up by inviting the people, the congregation, to sing to the Lord a new song. Not because God had changed in any way, shape, or form, but because his people had seen him and experienced him in a new way. This psalm is nearly a direct excerpt from a psalm of David that's found in 1 Chronicles chapter 16, where the Israelites had just defeated the nation of the Philistines and were bringing the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem. And they longed for this to happen and were excited to be able to worship God in their midst again. In their context... This psalm was sung as a marker of a new time of worship. 
a renewed sense of God's presence with his people, a new sense of who God was, a renewed hope. It celebrated a mighty and powerful God who had conquered his enemies, yet a God who was personal and related with his people, a God who was great, a God that was reminded them that they came to him on his terms because he is holier than them. And since then, Psalm 96 has been adapted for other things, likely believed to even be used for the inauguration of the second temple. But the principles stick. The principles of a renewed vision of God. A renewed sense of what God has done. A renewed appreciation of who He is. So I want to invite you to look at Psalm 96 with me this morning. It says, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord... Bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Bring an offering and come into His courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before Him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar in all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord. For he comes, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. Heavenly Father, we come before you into your presence today. And we do so to ascribe to you the glory that is due your name. Lord, I pray that as we spend time in this psalm, that you would renew in each of us a new sense of, of awe and wonder at your glory and your majesty. Lord, you are great, and you are greatly to be praised. And may you be honored in this time. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Throughout this psalm, it becomes evident that there is an imperative for us. That before we are to ascribe, before we can ascribe truly any glory to the Lord... We must echo the remarks of Tozer that we read a minute ago. We must become acquainted with the Almighty. For some of us, we've lost sight of who God truly is, and perhaps it's because our acquaintance has been taken somewhere else. And so I encourage you this morning that as we spend time in this psalm, as you go from this place today, that you would acquaint yourself with God. Do you know God? Have you ever been awestruck at who God is and what God has done? Does the splendor of God render you speechless at times with no words to declare His glory? Or has God perhaps become dull and dim over the years? That your familiarity with the Almighty has caused you to grow dull towards His glory? Over the last few years, I've had the opportunity to take some trips out to the Rocky Mountains. And I've come to really love the Rocky Mountains. They're beautiful. They're amazing. And I'm always stunned at their majesty. As you stand, you look at these wonderful mountains. And sometimes I wonder, is it just because I'm coming from Illinois and it's flat here and I'm looking at these mountains with the eyes of a tourist with freshness and newness to the sight? 
And so I decided over the last couple of trips out there that I wanted to start asking some of the local people, does the wonder and majesty of the mountains ever wear off? And almost every single person I've asked has said, not a chance. As a matter of fact, most of them say, I love the mountains more today than when I first got here. And shouldn't that be the same remarks that we have for the glory of our God? That the longer we walk with Him, we wouldn't become dull to Him, but that we would love Him more and be more amazed at His beauty and His majesty as the days go by and the years go by. That we would be struck by how beautiful He is and how majestic our God truly is. A couple weeks ago, we were out in the Rockies again, and we got to climb one of the shorter peaks in the area. And there as we stood on top of the, this mountain, literally at the very peak of it, you could stand and look in a 360 and see one of the most breathtaking views you could possibly imagine. Mountains and valleys before you that just make you feel so small. And I remember standing there on this mountain and literally thinking that I never wanted to leave. That I could be content to stay there and just take in the view. But it was there standing on the mountain that God kind of spoke to my heart and he said, listen, Jeremy, whatever beauty and majesty and glory you see even in these mountains or in any of my creation, it pales in comparison to my own. The beauty and majesty of the Rocky Mountains can't hold a torch to the beauty and majesty of our God. And it struck me and convicted me because that was the first time in some time that perhaps I stood there and was utterly speechless at the glory of our God. I had no words but to just sit and appreciate, to sit and adore, because our God is great. When's the last time you were speechless before the Lord? Consumed with His greatness. No words to describe it. You don't even know what to say. And you just sit there in recognition that he is a glorious and majestic God. Perhaps for some of us it's been some time. Perhaps it's because we're not looking. Maybe it's because we've become content to look at other people's pictures instead of experiencing his glory and his majesty for ourselves. The psalmist here in Psalm 96 speaks of a certain familiarity with God. He doesn't just tell us about God. It's evident that the psalmist knows God. He's walked with God. He's seen His glory. He's seen His majesty on display. He's seen God's mighty acts at work in his own life with his own eyes. And it causes him to speak of the greatness of God in a new way. To even invite others to sing a new song to him. Again, not because God had changed, but because, wow, I'm struck by how great God is. And here we are today, like them, invited into this to use words like uh, God's marvelous works. Those things that God does that uh, instills amazement and awe in our hearts as we see him do them. You know what I'm talking about. To use words like his splendor, his majesty. These are words we don't use for just anything. These are used words that we use for a holy God. And here we are invited to come in and to sing these praises to God together as his people. To perhaps be renewed in our vision of just how great he is. And for some of us, that means we need to get to know God differently. That knowing God is not just about an academic pursuit and studying the books 
but knowing God is walking with him, truly knowing who he is. Knowing God is less about knowing about and knowing him. The same way that there's much more joy in knowing my wife, not in being able to tell you what her favorite colors are, her favorite animal is, how she likes her coffee, or what color her hair really is. But it's in being able to finish her sentence or to tell her, I knew what you were going to do. I knew how you were going to respond because I know her. And when we know God and know who He is and we acquaint ourselves with this holy God, man, it will overwhelm us with His greatness because He is an awesome God. He is a majestic God. But for those of you who feel like, how could I know such greatness about God? Because even when we start to bring up theological terms, a glaze comes over my eyes because I can't keep up with that kind of stuff. I don't understand it. Let me remind you of what was said of Peter and John in Acts chapter 4. It says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were, get this, uneducated common men, They were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. You don't have to be the greatest, newest theologian of the 21st century, but if you've been with Jesus, there's something about that that changes us fundamentally. Because we've not seen anything like Him, nothing like our God that instills such a wonder and awe in our lives, and that changes you. It changes the way you live. It changes your perspectives. God is amazing. And here we have an opportunity to walk with Him and to follow Him. And that, brothers and sisters, is where we get to see the beauties of our God on display. In the day-to-day. In the way that He cares for us. In the way that He serves us. God serves us. What a God. You'll notice verses 4 and 5 in this psalm start out by saying, For great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. And I love verse 5. It says, For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols. All the gods of the peoples are worthless idols. Cool. What a statement. Because here we see, and for those of you who are a bit academic, in the Latin Vulgate, some of you have glazed over, stick with us. In the Latin Vulgate, it literally means these gods of the peoples are nothings. And they come from nothings. In other words, they have no claim to reality. No claim to existence. They are false. And the Hebrew poetry is beautiful here. It says that the Elohim, the gods, are Elilim, good for nothing, worthless. But the Lord, Yahweh, made the heavens. All these false gods have no claim to reality, yet Yahweh, our God, the one true God, is the God who has created everything. From Him comes all existence. From Him comes all things. And to Him is all glory owed. He is the one true God. To grasp this. Brothers and sisters, the higher our view of God, 
the deeper our adoration and worship of Him will become, which will lead us to what the psalm is to do, is to ascribe the glory that is due to His name. You'll notice our passage uses a couple different words in intentional repetition. In verses 1 and 2, the word sing is used three times, noticeably. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Verse 7 and 8 bring another word, ascribe. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Beautiful words. Active words. Words that invite us to do something in response of how great God is. So we've gathered together this morning, we've sung praises to God. And perhaps uh, they're old songs that you're familiar with, and you've sung before, but maybe even today you sung them differently. Because you've seen God differently. And we're invited to ascribe to God the glory that's due His name. But what on earth does that mean? Does that mean we're increasing the glory of God? Making Him more glorious than He already is? No. For God is a glorious God because His glory is defined in who He is. And He's not changing. The Scriptures say that He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Therefore, in and of Himself, He's a glorious God. Because if we could add to His glory, then certainly we'd be able to subtract from His glory. And we know that even when we dishonor God, we do not take away from how great God truly is. For He's still a great God. But rather what the psalmist is inviting us to do is to change our perspectives a little bit. That we would recognize and give credit to God as the glorious God that He is. That's why he says, ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. He deserves it. It is His because of who He is. And so when we dishonor the Lord, we don't take away from His glory, but instead we taint the picture that other people get to see in their perspectives of God's glory. And so they will not ascribe to him the glory that is due to his name. And so here we have this opportunity to come and to ascribe to him what is due because God is great. And we need to be careful to ascribe what is due to him and not ascribe that glory to anyone or anything else. The Apostle Paul says in Romans 1, claiming to be wise, they became fools and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their heart to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. And we can run the same temptation to worship and serve the creation rather than the Creator. So that as I stand on the top of a mountain and look at the most breathtaking view I can see, that I don't ascribe glory to the mountains that is duly God's. That I would stand there and say, how glorious is my God, rather than how glorious are the mountains. God's creation is so great. Now worship the creator of all things. In our relationships with one another, rather than ascribing glory to people, ascribe glory to God. After all, we've been created in the image of God. It is God who is the one who deserves glory above all things. 
In Hebrews chapter 3, the author of that letter, is in his attempt to help elevate the people's view of Jesus, draws a comparison to Moses, one whom the, the Jewish people would have had a great affinity to. They looked at Moses with reverence and respect and affection. And he says in that, in Hebrews chapter 3, that Moses even was faithful in all God's house as a servant. But his point comes in the next verse when he says that Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. As much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. So as we look at this world around us, let us be careful not to ascribe glory to anyone or anything that is unworthy of it, but that we would be intentional and true to ascribe that glory that is due to God and to God alone. And part of ascribing glory, the psalmist says in verse 8, he says, bring an offering, come into his courts. And we think of these offerings and probably quickly associate them with the sacrifices that would have been made under the Old Testament law. This is not what he's talking about. In Leviticus, there's an opportunity for what they call a peace offering. This is an offering that wasn't demanded by the law, but an offering that was there that the people could come and freely and joyfully give as a way to worship and honor God for who he is. There was no demand for it. It was something that they chose to do. And this is the invitation that David and the psalmist gives before us, that we would come and present an offering for the Lord, not out of compulsion or a guilt trip, but as a way of honoring God, a way of saying, God, you are worthy, you are greater, you are worth more than myself, and if I could give you more, I would give you all. You deserve everything, you've given everything, you are the greatest, you alone are worthy of my praise, and this is just one simple way to show it. So I ask you, on an invitation to give an offering to the Lord to honor Him, what would your offering be? Would it be one that declared His majesty and His glory and His greatness? Or would it be one that would be done out of comfort and convenience? Not too costly, but enough to participate. Oh. To grasp the glory and majesty of God, what we wouldn't give to honor Him. The psalm is summed up in verse 9. Worship. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Not meaning putting on your Sunday best and showing up at church to worship. It's speaking of His splendor of holiness. And like the prophet Isaiah who saw the vision of the throne room and recognized his own filthiness before a holy God, that we would see God for who He is and say, Lord, You are great. What am I? That we would worship and ascribe to Him all that is due to His name. That we would live lives, not days, but lives marked by faithfulness to honoring Him, to bringing glory and majesty to His name, elevating God in our lives rather than self, living that other people also might see our good works to glorify our Father who is in heaven. This past week, I had two funerals that I was at of saints who lived lives in that way. That in their death, Christ was magnified. God was worshipped. What a testimony to life. That at the end of all things, it's not about me. 
It's about the Lord, His kingdom, His recognition. And oh, how I long to spend eternity with Him. But the glory of God, brothers and sisters, is not something that should be hidden. Not something that should be confined to these four walls or the four walls of your home, but it's something that should be announced to the nations. And this psalm invites us to do just that, to announce God's glory to the nations. You'll notice in verses 1 through 10 of this psalm that the earth, the peoples, and the nations are mentioned five different times. Verse 1, sing to the Lord all the earth. Verse 3, declare His glory among the nations, His marvelous work among the peoples. Verse 7, ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Verse 9, tremble before Him all the earth. Verse 10, say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Certainly this glory is not something to treasure in our own hearts, but to share with other people that they too might treasure it. God invites us to share His glory with other people that they might taste and see that the Lord is good. John Piper begins his book, Let the Nations Be Glad, by saying that missions is not the ultimate goal of the church, that worship is. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. And he goes on and says that worship is the goal of missions because in missions, we simply aim to bring the nations into the white-hot enjoyment of God's glory, that the goal of missions is the gladness of the peoples and the greatness of God. The gladness of the peoples and the greatness of God. But before we can take that message out to others, man, it's got to hit home for us. And for many of us, when we talk about taking the gospel out and going and proclaiming it and announcing it to the nations, there is a fear that wells up inside. An intimidation to open our mouths. A concern, do I have the words to say? Am I going to look dumb? Will I be outwitted? And sometimes that's enough to keep us from opening our mouths. Because we've minimized evangelism to nothing more than persuasion. But such a part of evangelism, brothers and sisters in Christ, is a proclamation of God. A proclamation of who He is. A proclamation of what He's done. And your persuasiveness in that proclamation will grow as you grow in your understanding and experience of the glory and majesty of God. How could we be ashamed of such a God? I have no shame to stand in front of you to tell you how beautiful the Rocky Mountains are. You might hate the mountains, but that will not change my proclamation. In view of a much greater, more glorious, more majestic God, how could we not open our mouths? How could we not declare to the nations that the Lord reigns? How could we not share amongst the peoples how great our God is? How could we not tell people of His love and His mercy and His grace that such a great God loved us so much to send His Son that we might have a relationship with Him? Don't be intimidated to proclaim the goodness and glory of God. For Isaiah 52, 7 says, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of Him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings the good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, Your God reigns. 
And we will do this the more and more as we learn to anticipate God's glorious return. The closing verses of this psalm invite us to do just that. To look ahead to the day when God will return. And he speaks of God's return in a way that God will bring judgment on the world. And judgment in our context today definitely carries some negative connotations. But the psalmist seems to rejoice in this coming judgment of God. Not fear, not trepidation. And so we are invited here to join with all of creation, the seas and all that are in them, the fields and everything in it, the trees of the forest, to long for and to rejoice in the coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And the psalmist speaks of his coming judgment not as one of harshness, but simply one of equity in verse uh, 10, of righteousness and faithfulness in verse 13. This is a kind of judgment that we will rejoice in, brothers and sisters in Christ. That in equity, God will judge all things fairly and justly. That those who are found in Christ on that day will find mercy and grace. But sadly, those that aren't will find a full, just judgment of their deeds. In righteousness, God will judge all things by His own perfect standards. Not the standards of the merits of man, but Himself. In faithfulness, God will judge all things by the standard of truth. There will be no deception, no fraud, just truth and faithfulness in His execution of judgment. But I recognize, for as much as we as believers should rejoice in that coming day, that I and many of you know people loved ones, family, friends, that if that day were today, they wouldn't find grace and mercy, but the full weight of the wrath of God. And that breaks our hearts. That hits home. But rather than letting that reality stop us from anticipating that day, because brothers and sisters, we should, Let it motivate us to be all the more intentional, all the more ambitious to share the hope that we have in Christ. To go and to proclaim, especially to our loved ones, the goodness of God. That certainly He is a God who is majestic in all ways. He is a God who is full of loving kindness and He is patient and good to us. A God who is gracious and merciful but that yes, He is a God of justice as well. We know that there's a day coming, the Apostle Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 2, that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. There is a day coming, but may the knees bow and the tongues confess now before it's too late on that day. And may God use us as His people to go and to announce to the nations and to our loved ones and to our neighbors that God is who He is. That our Lord reigns. Oh, that He is a glorious God. Brothers and sisters, I want to encourage you to acquaint yourself with the Almighty. When's the last time that you were awestruck and speechless? Retreat to that place frequently. That your view of God might not become dim and dull, but you might go there and find a renewed vision of His gloriousness on a regular basis. Ascribe to Him the glory that's due to His name. Worship God in spirit and in truth. Not on Sunday mornings alone, but every day. Worshiping Him with our lives. Giving Him the glory that's due Him in our actions and our thoughts. 
announce His glory to the nations? What opportunities has God given you to be an ambassador of the good news to those who need it? To share the hope with the lost and those who are in the darkness? To bring light where it's needed? And anticipate God's glorious return? Brothers and sisters, this earth is not your home. Heaven is your home. And the scriptures say of heaven that there, there is no need of sun or moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives it light. And its lamp is the Lamb. And to Him be the glory and majesty and honor forever and ever.